Luke chapter number 5 this morning, and as you're turning there, do be in prayer for pastor. Pastor uh, has bronchitis, at least that's what we think he has, bronchitis, and we all know that ain't nobody got time for that. And if you're under 30, you understand what I just did. If you're over 30, you just think that I just said some random statement, but be in prayer for him. It's not fun, and uh, he's having a hard time staying still and not working. He's very work-minded. Miss Farinella told me that he's been working and trying to get stuff accomplished, and so pray that he sits still and gets better. And then also, I wanted to plug this in tonight. If you're going to miss a service, don't miss tonight because we've got Brother A.J. Lutrick that's going to be with us, pastor of Emerald City Baptist Church, pastor of Emerald City Baptist Church, not aspiring pastor, not it's going to happen one day. It's happened. It's going on right now. Matter of fact, we've got some members that are there this morning and that are there every single week to go and help and be a blessing. And so tonight, be here. He, he loves this church. And I probably wouldn't say this to Brother Matt, but I think he loves this church more than he loves foundation. Maybe. I don't know, but uh, come tonight, he's always a blessing and a help and an encouragement, and so uh, Luke chapter number five, before we begin reading though, we'll read in just a moment, I'd like to ask a question uh, this morning, just a posing question by way of introduction, um, how many of you have ever heard someone say something to you that has changed your life? All right, most of us, should be all of us, I'm sure some of us at some point in our lives have heard something that has been life-changing, life-transforming. You've heard something, uh, and since you've heard that, you've never been the same since. Uh, and I just kind of wrote down a couple of them by way of introduction. There's been many a times in my life where I've heard life-changing words or life-changing statements. Uh, here's something that I heard many a times when I was a young boy growing up. Son, go to my room. <laughs> life-changing. My life has never been the same, and I didn't hear it just once or twice. Usually I heard it once or twice a day. How many of you, you ever heard that before from your parents? Uh, how many of you have never heard that before? Yeah, it kind of shows. I understand. <laughs> Don't worry. I've heard it enough for the both of us. Uh, Life-changing. My life has never been the same since hearing those words. I, I even get chills down my spine when I hear it now. Son, I can't, I can't emulate his voice. Son, go to your room. And man, I knew my life was going to change at that moment. Uh, July 13th of 2013. I heard two words, they were short words, but they were life-changing. The words I do. You're supposed to say, aw, aw. The words I do, aw, yes. Uh, me and Rebecca were married in, on July 13th, and I had to go over that date like 60 times before I said it because I was afraid I was going to get it wrong and she would crucify me. But July 13th of 2013, me and Rebecca tied the knot, and I I'm not trying to be mushy, I'm not trying to be icky, but my life has never been the same since that day. Every single second of every single day is different because of those simple two words. I do. I do. August of 2016, I don't have the exact date, but August of 2016, I heard these life-changing words. It's a boy. It's a boy. I was right about 20 weeks in, in Rebecca's first pregnancy, and we found out we were having a boy, Daxton, my son, and my life has never been the same since I heard those words. And those of you that have boys, say Amen. My life has never been the same. Every single second of every single day, and I mean that in a good way and a bad way, my life has never and will never be the same ever. Yesterday I had to give him, I better not say that because I might get in trouble, but he had to be reprimanded several times yesterday. Even this morning I think I had to reprimand him, but still, I'm telling you what, my life is changed for the better ever since that day. You're having a boy. Uh, May 20th of 2019, this was just about three weeks ago, May 20th of 2019, I heard these life-changing words. It's a girl. It's a girl. Just a couple, I'm smiling. You, you, you can not be excited, but I'm excited. And the reason I'm excited, if you know the Farinella trend, you understand why I'm so excited that I had a girl on my second try. 
is because the trend is usually that they have boy after boy after boy after boy and eventually get to a girl. And I'm literally crossing my fingers, and you can ask my wife, this happened. The moment that she said it's a girl, I leaped like a maniac and started screaming where I actually was concerned. I was like, oh, that was too far. I went too far. <laughs> I was excited. And, and many people have come up to me that have girls, and they've told me, hey, your life is about to change. Your life is never going to be the same. Everything that you have cut in half because it belongs to her. Girls cost 10 times more than it costs boys. And so I, my life is about to change. I'm telling you what, I'm excited, but it's never going to be the same. July 20th of 2019, same day. Moments after we heard those words, I heard these scary words. Words you never want to hear as a parent. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. And me and my wife... You know, we're, we're excited, we're rejoicing, and, and the doctor said that, and you know, you don't have a lot of time to process that, but the last thing you want to hear as a parent is that something's wrong with your little baby, and so uh, another doctor came in, and they were looking at the ultrasound, and they said, uh, there's a spot on your little girl's heart, and, and we don't know, but we, we think it could be a sign of Down syndrome, and so we need to do some tests because we, we want to make sure, and so they had us go to the top floor, and then we go up there, and me and Rebecca, she's, she's struggling to hold back tears, I'm struggling to hold back tears, trying to be strong, and we go up, and the blood work is done. And they say, it's going to be about eight to ten days before we're able to get back to you. And those were the longest days of our lives. Because every single day we were thinking, our life is going to be different. We'll st I mean, I'm telling you what, I'm still excited. But uh, those of you that know handicapped children, it's life-changing. It changes. July 28th of 2019, about two weeks ago. We got a phone call from our doctor, and we huddled around. I took the day off, and we huddled around the phone, and we heard these life-changing words. She's fine. <laughs> She's fine. And it was almost like we rejoiced all over again and began to thank the Lord and praise the Lord uh, for his protection. And, and I'm so thankful, but uh, words change you. News changes you. Good news, bad news, it doesn't matter what it is. News is going to change you. We've all experienced at one time or another either being on the receiving end or being on the giving end of life-changing words. And can I tell you something this morning? There's not a word more life-changing than this book right here. This book right here, it is full of words. Matter of fact, 783,137 words in the King James Bible. And every single one of them are life-changing. Every single one of them are worthy to get excited about. And you ought to be faithful to open it up and to read it. Every single day, you can experience the life-changing words of the Word of God. But, but, but I think we would all agree and understand that there are words in this book that are more life-changing than other words. Uh, there are words that resonate a little bit differently uh, than other words. And so just a couple, uh, all throughout Scripture, you, you know, you kind of go through Scripture and you picture characters that accomplish great things for God. And the majority of the people that accomplished great things for God were those who made great statements for God. Great statements, life-changing words. Think of the Old Testament, you've got Joshua. Joshua's looking at the nation of Israel, and as Joshua looks out at the nation of Israel, he gives this admonishment, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wow. I think of Ezra, or excuse me, Isaiah. I think of Isaiah in chapter number six. Isaiah, the Lord says, I, I, I'm looking for someone. I, I, whom, whom shall I send and who will go forth? And Isaiah says the words, here am I, send me. Wow, life-changing. Mordecai. In the book of Esther. Mordecai in the book of Esther, uh, he's pleading with Esther to make word with the king. He's pleading, man, this is going to be the greatest massacre in human history. They're about to wipe out all of the Jews. And he goes and he pleads before Esther, and she's afraid. She doesn't want to go forth. It was punishable by death to, uh, uh, to arrive unannounced to the king. And here's what Mordecai says. He says, who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom 
Here it is. For such a time as this. Life-changing words. New Testament, Paul. We all think of Paul. And man, Paul made some great statements all throughout his ministry. Paul made great statements. Uh, I mean, uh, you read all of the Pauline epistles and they're filled with great statements made by this great man of God. But I believe none greater than Romans chapter number one. When he writes to the church at Rome and he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Life-changing. By the way, those words are life-changing for you and me. No doubt all of us can think of others. Maybe when I said that, your mind went to life-changing words of another Bible character. But I'd imagine that when thinking of great statements made by men and women of God throughout the scriptures, not a single one of us thinks of Peter. None of us would think of Peter. Matter of fact, uh, we know that Peter got himself in trouble. Quite the opposite. And it's not because Peter didn't have a lot to say, is it? Those of you that laugh know your Bible because Peter definitely was a man of many words and Peter had a lot to say. And so it's not because Peter didn't have a lot to say. Matter of fact, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Whenever he was supposed to be quiet, he would speak. Whenever he's supposed to speak, he would be quiet. He was constantly fibbing up in regards to his words. But I'd have you believe and understand that he did hit a few home runs. Peter did make some great statements for the cause of Christ in his ministry. Think of Matthew chapter six, uh, 16 and verse number 15. Jesus appears unto the disciples and he says, who does men say that I am? Some say that thou art Elias and some say that thou art one of the prophets risen from the dead. And then he looks dead in the face of the disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? Peter says in verse 16, and Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Great statement. Think of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter number two. Verse number 38, here's what Peter said. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 41. Here's the result. Here's the invitation. Then they that gladly received his words were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now that's credit to the Holy Spirit, but that is as, that's a, as a result of the preaching of this guy Peter. Just a few chapters forward in Acts chapter number four, the disciples are preaching, Peter is preaching, uh, and 5,000 souls are saved. 5,000. I'm simply saying that Peter made some great statements for the cause of Christ. Peter made some life-changing words. He stated some life-changing words. But that kind of begs the question, amid all of the words that Peter spoke and all of the great things that Peter said, great statements that Peter made for the cause of Christ, what was the greatest? What was the greatest? What was the greatest statement ever made by Peter? A man of many words. A man who accomplished a lot for the cause of Christ. What were the greatest words? And I believe that we find those words in our text in Luke chapter number five. Luke chapter number five, we'll read one down through verse number 11. If you'll read silently as I read aloud. The Bible says, and it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him, to hear the words, and that is Jesus Christ, and they pressed upon him to hear the words of God. He stood by the, uh, the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but their fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered unto one of the ships, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out unto the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. 
When they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their, uh, and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, and they should, uh, excuse me, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and, the John, and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. For just a few moments this morning, in light of our text, in light of Luke chapter number five, I'd like to talk to you about this subject, and we've already been discussing it. Life-changing words. Life-changing words, or we could say it this way, life-changing words for Peter. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. Be with me in a special way. I, I need your power. I need your anointing. I need you to be with me and to guide my tongue, guide my thoughts, guide my mind. Lord, you've been preparing me for this, and you've been working even on my heart in regards to what we're going to talk about this morning. And, and these, can be, uh, these words can be life-changing for all of us, Lord. I pray that we would have the same attitude as Peter this morning. And, and the truth that's going to be presented this morning, I pray that it would cause us to act upon it. It would cause us to respond to your word, Lord, and, and it would draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that you would again be with us this morning. Give me your power in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> there can be no doubt in our minds that our God did not just create us to exist and to live and then to die and be reunited with him in heaven. By the way, aren't you thankful for heaven? Aren't you thankful for heaven as the lady's just saying, Don't, doesn't it make you want to go? I'm excited about heaven. But did you know that when God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, that was not the end of the matter. Uh, his only intention was not just to provide salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl. Pause for a second. We'll talk about this at the end, but that is his intention for everybody in this room. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, we're going to come to the end of the service. And I pray my prayer and everybody's prayer here, if you're not a Christian, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, call on him today. It'd be the greatest day of your life. But, but can I tell you, that's not God's only intention for man. We must understand that God's plan for our lives involves us being effective in pursuing his will for our lives. Here it is, while here on earth. Uh, God has a plan for your life. He has a desire for your life. And his desire is for you to follow after the things of him. I heard it said that the greatest discovery for the Christian is to find the will of God. The greatest accomplishment for the Christian is to do the will of God. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1 and 2, it puts it this way. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. C.T. Studd put it this way, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The only thing harder than waiting on the will of God is wishing that you had. The will of God is a very important thing for the believer. It's an important thing for the Christian. It was an important thing for Peter. He took it very seriously. 
And as we pick up in, this, uh, in our text, uh, in the first mention of Peter, we find in verse number three, Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him if he can borrow his boat so that he can preach to the masses. What a sight that must have been. I mean, I don't know if you have an imaginative uh, imagination like I do, but I kind of picture it this way. As Jesus is preaching to the multitude of the people that are there at Lake Gennesaret, it's almost as though the more people that come, the farther he goes back to where he's standing on the banks. Maybe in, even his feet are touching the waters and he needs to go somewhere. So he looks over and he sees a boat and he calls on Peter and he says, hey, Peter, I want you to launch out with me so that I can have a platform to be able to preach. And so they do that. And that must have been a, a chill, awe-inspiring moment to hear the voice of Jesus resonating throughout the glass of the sea as he preaches to the multitude. And the Bible says that when he finishes preaching, Jesus and Peter's boat business is not finished yet. And Jesus tells Peter, I want you to launch out. I want you to drop your nets for a draught. I want you to go fishing. That's a great commission. No one laughed. Hey, I'm a fisherman. That's a great commission. He says, I want you to go fishing. And it is after this, it is after this admonishment from Jesus that we read six words that are going to change the life of the Apostle Peter forever. Peter's going to go on from here, and we know this. He's going to go on from here to accomplish some great things for Christ, walking on the water and preaching on the day of Pentecost and doing all those great and magnificent things for the cause of Christ. But it is here that I believe we see the greatest statement ever made by this Apostle Peter. Verse number five, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Here it is. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Six life-changing words that transformed the life of Peter. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Can I tell you something this morning? Those same six words that change Peter's life, they can change your life. They can change my life. They can change all of our lives for the cause of Christ. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. There are a few things that I'd like us to notice about these six words, and, and I want us to get a grasp, and I want us to understand what this meant for Peter going forward. Uh, this is no light thing. This is, this is a big deal. This changes Peter's life completely from being a fisherman to being a follower of Jesus Christ. So there's a few things that I'd like us to notice this morning in regards to those life-changing words. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. And what it meant for Peter going forward. Number one, it meant this, a new authority. A new authority. We, we must understand that prior to Simon Peter meeting Jesus on that day, in a very literal sense, Simon Peter was the captain of his own life. He was the captain of his own ship. He was the head honcho. He was the boss. He was the captain. He was the final authority. He was the one that was calling the shots. And in reading about Peter, we can kind of gather this. Peter had a type A personality, didn't he? I mean, he was no introvert. He, he was very zealous and passionate, and, and, and he was very, uh, that's what got Peter in trouble so often, is his charisma and his excitement and his zeal. He, he was definitely a type A personality. And I'd have you believe in light of that, if, if Peter is going to be a fisherman, don't you think that Peter is going to be the best fisherman that he can? If I'm going to be a fisherman, I'm going to be the best. I want to be the best. I want to be the most proficient at this. So as Simon stands on the bank of Lake Gennesaret, and again, after a long night of unsuccessful, frustrating, tiring night of fishing, or, yeah, fishing, not catching, this carpenter, car, the, wrap your mind around this, this carpenter comes and tells Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus, the carpenter, tells Peter, the fisherman, I want you to launch out and go fishing. 
And we need to understand this. You know, he's Jesus, so that, therefore he is God. So he is all-knowing, and he understands. It's not like it was a new thing, and he walked up and just assumed that they hadn't been out that day. The Bible says that they're washing their nets. And the fact that they were, if you're a fisherman, you know this. If you're cleaning your poles and you're not cleaning your fish, it was probably wasn't a good day fishing. And so Jesus walks up, they're cleaning their nets, and he, he knew full and well what they were doing the night before. Knew full and well, again, he's God. He knew that they had an unsuccessful night of fishing, but he tells Peter, hey, I want you to launch out again and put down your nets for a drop. How, how many of you have ever had someone come up to you and tell you how to do your job and they have zero experience in your field? Don't you just love when that happens, when someone comes up to you and they're like, oh, that's an interesting way to do that. That's not what I would do. And they've never done it a day in their life. Doesn't that just make you so excited? Don't you just love when that happens? Jesus the carpenter ha has the audacity to come to Peter the angler and tell him how to do what Peter was supposed to be proficient at. Tells him to go launch out, go fishing. Why? What's the reason? What's the motive behind this endeavor? One motive. Peter, you're no longer the captain of your life. Peter, you're no longer in charge. You're no longer the head honcho. You're no longer calling the shots. You're no longer the sheriff in town. I'm Jesus, and I want you to cast out your nets. I want you to follow in response to me. I want you to treat me like your final authority. And the reason that we know that this is true is because going forward, that's exactly what Peter did. There's this poisonous line of thinking that has, has made its way into the churches today, and it is this. Jesus Christ can be my Savior, but he will never be my Lord. Did you hear me? Jesus Christ can be my Savior. I'm going to cash in on salvation, the free, keyword, free gift of salvation. But let me tell you what, I'm still going to call the shots for my own life. He can be my Savior, but he will never be my Lord. This command given to Peter in our text was not an easy pill for him to swallow. It couldn't have been. Because this required Peter to give up ownership of all that he had. This required Peter, Peter to give up ownership of his own life. This required Peter to take his captain's hat and transition it to Jesus. By the way, this Jewish rabbi carpenter that he doesn't know. This was a hard pill for him to swallow. Why? This went against Peter's experience. It went against his experience. Again, Peter is a fisherman. And if anybody knows how to catch fish on Lake Gennesaret, it's Peter. I'd imagine that Peter had been there many a times. And I'd imagine that he had many, many fish stories to tell on the fish that kept getting bigger and all the magnitude, a multitude of fishes that he's caught in his life. Peter is proficient in fishing, and I believe he's proficient in fishing on this lake. After all, this was his livelihood. This is what Peter devoted his life to. This is how he provided for his family. This was his everything. Knowing this, along comes this carpenter and tells Mr. Bassmaster himself, Peter, how to do what Peter had given his life to. A a contrary to all of Peter's experiences, contrary to the rap sheet that Peter had, of the success stories that Peter had, the failure stories that Peter had, he had the audacity to tell Peter to launch out. This went against Peter's experiences. Peter, I want you to launch out. I know it goes against your experiences, but I want you to launch out. I want you to drop your nets, and I want you to go fishing. It didn't just go against his experiences, but it also went against his excuses. Verse number five, it says, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. I, I don't know about you, but I think that that's a pretty good excuse. 
I've been fishing all night and I've caught nothing. Maybe you don't think it's a good excuse, but Brother Hopper, me and you think it's a good excuse, don't you? Me and Brother Hopper, he's my fishing buddy, Brother David, my Brother David Gascoigne. Is that not a good excuse? If you fish all night and catch nothing, a good excuse not to go and go back out is the fact that you've caught nothing the day before. He had no desire to launch out. He had no desire to continue because of his failure. These excuses. Master, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. Lord, not to burst your bubble, but I've been there, done that, and I've got the t-shirt to prove it. We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Listen, there is always an excuse not to do the will of God. Did you hear me? There is always a a man-made, fabricated excuse for you not to launch out. Peter had a pretty legitimate excuse. And can I tell you something? In spite of his excuses and in spite of his experiences, I think even you and I could find it in ourselves to be obedient. In spite of what we've experienced and in spite of the excuses that might have been provided, I think that in and of ourselves, we could even find it in ourselves to be obedient. But there's something else that it went against, and this is where it gets most of us in trouble. This went against Peter's ego. The indication of our text is that Peter and Jesus were not alone. As a matter of fact, that's the very reason why they went out on this boat in the first place, because of the masses of people that were there on the shores of Lake Gennesaret. And so they're not alone. There's these strangers that are sitting on the shore watching this endeavor, watching this carpenter tell Peter the fisherman how to fish. And again, that's not just, it's not just the masses of strangers, but verse number five, or excuse me, verse number seven says, and they beckoned unto their partners. Th- this, this is Peter's close friends and his colleagues that are sitting there watching again this Jewish carpenter tell Peter the angler how to fish. This went against his ego. Uh, men, help me out here. You can do whatever you want. I'm talking to the men. You can do whatever you want, but don't mess with my ego. Come on, ladies, say amen. Never mess with a man's ego. It's in our blood. You can do whatever you want. You can embarrass whoever you want, but don't you dare mess with my ego. You know what Peter had to do to accomplish the will of Jesus? He had to put his excuses aside. Excuse me, put his experiences aside. He had to put his excuses behind him, but most importantly, he had to put his ego on hold. Many a Christian are not living the will of God because of their experiences, their excuses, and their ego. Many a Christian are not pursuing after the will of God because it goes against what they've experienced in their lifetime. Many a Christian are not following after the things of God because of excuses. By the way, let me tell you something about Satan. He's in the business of giving excuses. He's very proficient at it. He's very good at his job, and he will give you any excuse possible, every excuse possible to ensure that you don't follow after the will of the Father. But something that gets all of us from time to time is this. We're not following after the things of God because of our ego. Or I could say it this way. We don't follow after the things of God because what are people gonna think of me? Peter had to acknowledge this new line of thinking. Christ must be my authority. Christ must be my authority. A new authority. Number two, we see a new attribute. A new attribute. Again, Peter had to put his experiences aside. He had to put his excuses behind him. And he had to put his ego on hold. But there's something else Peter had to do. And it's very profound. 
Peter had to launch out. He had to launch out. He had to be obedient. He had to do. He had to exhibit faith. He had to take a step. He had to go out. He had to launch out. Let me ask you a question, and I've already kind of referenced this, but you think Peter had launched out on Lake Gennesaret before? Absolutely, many times. Peter had been there many times, I'm sure. But there was something different about this time that separated it from the previous endeavors, and here it is. Before, he endeavored to launch out under his own power, but now he is launching out under the direct power of the Almighty God. Look at verse number six. And when they had done, uh, excuse me, and when they had this done, that is, they let down their nets in verse number five. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. Wow. Just a few hours before this happened, again, Peter had failed in doing exactly what it was that now Jesus was trying to get him to do. However, again, Peter was no longer operating under his own experiences anymore. And here's what I'm getting at. Peter was now operating under faith. He was operating under faith. Faith in what? Listen, he was operating under the element of faith in that Jesus is not in the business of wasting people's time. Did you hear me? He's not in the business of wasting people's time. There is a purpose and there is a reason behind everything that Jesus does. Jesus is not a waster of his time. Everything he does, he does intentionally. So often in the Christian life, we refuse to launch out and follow after the will of God because God chooses not to enclose all the information. Look at me here for just a second. So often in the Christian life, we refuse to go after the things of God because God does not tell us who, what, where, when, and how. God does not disclose the information. God does not equip us with everything that we need to know. You know why he doesn't do that? Because that removes the element of faith. Because if we were to launch out and know everything that there is to know, that would remove the element of faith. The reason that Jesus, I believe, did this with Peter and the reason that he does it with you and I on a day-to-day basis is this. I want you to depend on me. I want you to trust me in spite of your experiences, your excuses, your ego. I want you to trust me, the authority. Peter had to understand that. Uh, Again, God did not tell Peter what was going to happen in verse number seven, verse number eight. Jesus just said, launch out. Peter had to acknowledge this new line of thinking. I must exercise the attribute of faith. I must exercise the attribute of faith. So we see a new authority. Then we see a new attribute, number three, a new attitude. A new attitude. This carpenter does what Peter in his own power could never do. And I want you to notice Peter's response in verse number eight. I want you to listen to the attitude that Peter gives forth to Jesus after encountering this endeavor. Verse eight, it says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. And it's kind of interesting to note what Peter's response wasn't. Again, remember Peter's a type A personality and many a times Peter's mouth would get in his way. Did you notice that Peter's response, and again, what a, what a sight this was to see. 
I mean, they're standing there at the Lake, uh, Lake Gennesaret having just failed the previous night, and everybody's watching, and they go and they throw out their nets, and they can't even bring them in. Their nets begin to break, or their net begin. Did you notice that, by the way? Jesus said, cast out your nets, and they cast out their net. Wonder what would have happened if they would have been obedient. But anyways, uh, it was a sight to see. As they begin to bring in the nets, the nets begin to break. They have to bring in the other ship. They fill both the ships with the fish that it begins to sink. And did you notice that Peter's response was not this? Whoa, look what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. High five and giving everybody high fives. No, that wasn't his response at all. Look at the humility that emanates through Peter. He goes to the feet of Jesus, and I kind of picture it like this. He gets around Jesus' knees, it says, and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. A response of humility. Not a response of arrogance, not a response of beating his chest and saying, look what I've accomplished. No, he says, depart from me. Talking to Jesus, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Those of, those of you who've been walking with God very long, you can concur that there have been times in my life where God does in his own power what I could never hope to do. And when it's an act of God, your response ought to be like Peter, where you get on your knees and you say, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Peter had to acknowledge this new line of thinking. My attitude must be this. Listen, he is great and I am small. He is great and I am small. We have the new authority and the new attribute, then the new attitude. Lastly, number four, <clears throat> we have a new assignment. A new assignment in verse number uh, 10, excuse me, it says, and so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, here it is, new assignment here, Peter, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Thou shalt catch men. Why did Jesus allow this experience to happen in the life of Simon Peter? Again, he's gonna go on and do some great things for Christ. Why the need for this detour? Why did Jesus not just call Peter out of the, the boat in the first time and just have him follow it? Why, why did he set him up for success there and allow him to have that, just a little bit of success there in his element, in the element of fishing? I'd have you believe that Jesus was showing Peter that he had plans that were greater for Peter than Peter had even for himself. Jesus had something in store for Peter that would have lasting effect, again, on the lives of countless thousands. Here's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was taking Peter's attention from what is temporary, and he was placing it upon what is eternal. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. How does Simon Peter respond to this new assignment from Jesus? Verse 11. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook can you read this next word with me? All. They forsook all and followed him. It was no small thing for the disciples and Peter to forsake, forsake their livelihood. Again, this was no small thing for Peter to forego everything that he had built up to this point in his life to follow this random Jewish rabbi carpenter. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. The assignment to follow after the will of God is no small thing for the Christian. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you, as he said, they forsook all and followed him. 
just a few weeks ago, Brother Chip's preaching on a Wednesday night, and I like what he said. We've kind of bought into this lie as Christians in trying to convince everybody around us that, and by the way, salvation is a free gift. That will cost you nothing. But to follow after the things of God, when did we start buying into the lie that it wasn't going to cost us something? It's not going to cost surrender. And by the way, let me just, uh, let me just admonish you this morning. It's not going to cost you something. It's not just going to cost you a lot. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you all to be a total all-in disciple for Jesus Christ. They forsook all and followed him. Mark says it this way, that they cast down their nets, and that's figuratively saying they put down the old life to pick up a new life, pick up the baton, and follow after this Jewish rabbi, Jesus Christ. Peter had to acknowledge this new line of thinking. Christ's assignment to me is complete forsaking and total fellowship. Complete forsaking of what? Old life and total fellowship to following after Jesus Christ. Peter saw the new authority in Jesus. New attribute of faith was distributed. And it changed Peter's perspective and his attitude. And this led to God giving, or Jesus giving him the commission to be now a fisher of men. Closing this morning, let me ask you this question. At the end of Peter's life, at the end of Peter's ministry, at the end of Peter's life, having experienced the winning of the 5,000 and the winning of the 3,000, masses of people coming to Christ, walking on the water, establishing churches. At the end of Peter's life, do you ever think for one moment that Peter regretted getting off the shore and getting on the boat with Jesus that day at Lake Gennesaret? Do you think Peter would have rather been fishing? Do you think Peter ever regretted forsaking his old life and following after the things of God, having seen what Peter was able to accomplish for the cause of Christ? Not a chance. I don't think there was ever a time at the end of Peter's ministry where he regretted saying those life-changing words, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. And you understand that this was not a one-time decision for Peter. Although it doesn't say it, Peter had to make that, and the disciples, anybody that follows after Christ, they have to make that decision daily. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Let me talk to two groups of people, and we'll be done. First group is this, the lost. If you're here today, and we've already said this, but if you're here today, and what I mean by lost is, if you've never cashed in on the free gift of salvation. Can I say it this way? Get on the boat with Jesus this morning. Get on the boat with Jesus. It'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Jesus wants to do more with your life, but it starts by allowing him to do something for you that you could never do for yourself. And God offered the free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, whosoever will may come. But the majority of us in here are Christians, so could I ask you this this morning? What's keeping you from doing the will of the Father? What is keeping you from doing, uh, being in complete obedience to the will of the Father and following after God's will for your life because he has one for you? For some of us, maybe you've been in the faith a long time and you have a plethora of experience. A plethora of experience and maybe you've experienced failure just as Peter had. Nevertheless, at thy word I will. Maybe you've been praying a long time for a loved one to come to Christ or maybe you're praying for a wayward son or a daughter or you're praying for a marriage to be mended and in and of yourself you've experienced failure after failure after failure until you come to the point where you say, all right, no more. 
I know that God wants me to continue. I know he wants me to continue to trust in him, but it goes against my experience. Hey, nevertheless, at thy word I will. Maybe it's the excuses. Again, Satan is in the excuse-giving business, and so maybe Satan is giving you all sorts of excuses on why you can't or shouldn't follow after the things of God. And I could touch on a number of them that would really get in your business this morning. Maybe it's, I can't come to Sunday nights because it's my family night. I can't come to Wednesday nights because fill in the blank. I can't give that much because I don't make enough. I can't do this because, I mean, Satan is in the business of giving excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. We've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will. This resonates with every single person in this room. Maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your ego getting in the way of you following after the things of God because what will people think of me? You're in the world. You're working a secular job. If I forego this promotion because it requires me to work on Sunday, what are my coworkers gonna think of me? Or maybe you're in church and you, on Monday through Saturday, you live for self, but on Sunday you come and you put on a facade and you wanna get right and you wanna follow after the things of God, but what are people gonna think of me here? Hey, nevertheless, at thy word I will. Nevertheless, at thy word I will. Peter goes on to say some of the greatest things. For the, matter of fact, Jesus said, thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against me. Great things were said by Peter and for Peter, but it never would have happened if that Lake Gennesaret experience didn't take place where, where, where Peter put aside his excuses, put aside his experiences, put down his ego and said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. And there are people here today, God has a desire to do great things for you and through you, but he can't do it until you put down yourself. Put down your nets and say, nevertheless, at thy word, I will. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning and that you'd be with the invitation. And if you've spoken to hearts this morning as you've spoken to mine, I pray that people would respond and that they'd come forward and they'd pray and they'd deal with you in a very serious way. I do pray that you'd be with those here again who are not saved. And if they're listening to me right now, I pray that you'd continue to speak to their hearts and to convict their spirit and that they'd come forward and they'd respond to the free gift of salvation. That they'd get on the boat with your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I do pray for the believer. Lord, everybody could follow a little bit more. Everyone could follow a little bit more proficiently. Everybody could put aside the excuses and put aside their experiences and their ego and follow you a little bit more devotedly. Lord, I pray that that would be our testimony this morning, that we would leave this place with a more devotion or a greater devotion for following after the things of you. Lord, I pray that you speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll